0: Ma lulam misurifu ma danya ma um Kirana Bulla Falahiyatu Malul Lay Warmer specific greetings, kyorakoto. I also want to take this um opportunity to acknowledge Manafinuwa, Nati Fatwa, um the ground that I stand upon. So um as a as a kid, I recall imaginings um that if ever I was up on stage with all mic'd up, that I would either be delivering a comedy act or being a backup vocalist. I never quite imagined that I'd be in an Auckland bar on Fort Street um, as an academic, um, as co-head of school of Te Wananga Waipapa, um, School of Māori Studies and Pacific Studies, the University of Auckland Hala, and 2018 on the government's mental health and addiction inquiry and now um, a commissioner for the inaugural mental health and wellbeing commission. So, I know. Um, This kind of event happens all around, and we're meant to talk about our research, and I thought, well, I don't really want to, because um, (laughs) that's what lecture theatres are for, right? Um, No, in all seriousness, um, I bounced the idea around with some friends and asked, you know, what do you really want to hear? And they said, well, you never hear enough about what it's like to be a brown, Pacific female academic in the academy. I went, okay, we'll we'll give it a a nudge. So in saying that, tonight was gonna be kind of tricky because then it was like reflecting on my own life Um, and weaving all the strands together and that hasn't come without sacrifice. Um, but it's also come with considerable joy, particularly when you see our students that are just absolutely smashing it, or you see our staff or my peers and my colleagues that are, you know, just reaching the heights. And, and those are the moments that you want to to hold on to, and, and they, you know, they give you kind of the drive, I guess, to keep going. So it was kind of weird then, um, committing to this, because I thought, oh no, now I have to, like, tell you... Like expose my vulnerabilities, tell you my kind of weaknesses and secrets. You know, Um, you know, if 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 you've been to my office, I'm like way down the back, and everyone has fun all up the front. You know, I could be like dead or (laughs) have a stroke down the back, and none of them would ever know. Um, So, regardless of the hustle and bustle of my um, everyday life, um, this is this was something that I really had to do. I didn't know what I was going to say or how I was going to approach it. Um, so, and it's not something I would talk about publicly. It's a chance for me to, I guess, put myself out there um, and for you to ask some questions. Um, my grandmother, Nanny uh, Suresa Gavitt, um, landed in Parnell in Mechanic Bay down the road there in a seaplane, right? And so she came to these shores with the hope and the promise that New Zealand or Auckland would give her a life of prosperity. And then she met granddad, um, George George Vailoa-Gavitt. They ended up in um, Mankino and Tokoroa, and there they bore seven children, and my mother was the third in line, Joyce. uh, Tia, tia. Um, and the reason I bring them up is because they are very strong and courageous women. Um, and they have been mentors throughout my entire life. And I guess it was probably only inevitable, it was inevitable that I too would then kind of follow in their footsteps. So I do honour them at this time. Um, I hail from the villages of Tanga, Salonga and Vaimoso. Um, I was born in Tokoroa, and I've lived and been brought up in West Auckland, and I'm still there now. <laughs> so what does the evidence say? Because we're here for Auckland University, so I kind of have to put some brainy stuff in, there, in here. Um, the evidence suggests that Māori and Pacific uh, academics are underpaid and underpromoted in New Zealand's universities. That Māori and Pacific female academics earn, on average, just over $7,500 less Than pacific men and non-Pacific men. Um, And we're 65% less likely to be promoted to associate professor or professor. Um, So you do kind of ask the question, like, um, well, what's the point? But there's a lot to be unravelled here. A plethora of evidence suggests that, you know, institutional racism is at play and that there's a perpetual maintenance of the status quo. You know, it's the same old thing. Um, And what that does is that it serves people that don't necessarily sound like me or look like me. Um, In my case, and I suspect in the case of many of my Pacific female colleagues and peers, um, that this is also the case, our service to our students, our communities, our families, our peers, our nation, um, can sometimes outweigh uh, the productivity of our research, right? So a lot of, but a lot of the time we're relationship building, we're mentoring, um, we're sitting, we're being the Pacific voice at various tables, um, and we're spread so thinly, um, and we're pulled in multiple directions, but the real kicker is that the way universities measure our impact or um, how brainy or, 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 you know, successful we are as academics is against the kind of like a Western framework, right? That completely misses the mark um, and miscalculates everything. It doesn't measure our innovation, our determination, our creativity and just our drive for transformative change. We're embedded in a system that rewards our efforts within this framework. Um, that traditionally puts a lid on anything that is ever-Pacific. So our Pacific ways of knowing, our Pacific ways of doing, they're so underprivileged and they're not hurt. Instead, to get ahead in academia or in the academy, you have to be publishing in a European or or American journal with a, a fierce impact factor. And that's how we're measured. It doesn't measure our benefits, the way we disseminate and translate our research, you know, in FONO and hui, the way that we take so much time to build relationships with um, communities, um, that we affect change at the policy level, that we teach amazing students and we bring our work to the classroom, um, and our our engagement is completely meaningful and a lot of the time we do this for LOVE because if you're anything like me my my tautua, my service is giving back to the pioneers that were before me right and it keeps me completely grounded and I'll always be forever grateful for those who have you know carved this this pathway for us and for me so um my journey as a junior academic—I'm going to talk about. Um, only a few years ago, I was doing a postdoc in Pacific studies around suicide prevention, um, and after that, I applied for a, a lecturing job in another department within the university. And then a year year into that, you know, so I was just like a, in terms of academia, I was a minion. And then the opportunity arose one year and to come and um, be head of school, academic head. Yeah, so that was kind of a little bit daunting because I was like, man, I just came in on my postdoc. I've just been a lecturer for like five minutes and now what am I going to do? Um, and sure enough, such has been my life. Um, in that time, I asked a very, very senior academic, non-Pacific, um, what I want, you know, what should I do? And that person said, don't do it. It's career suicide and in actual fact, it's nepotism. And I went, first of all, first of all, don't you ever, in my head, because you know, (laughs) still want want my job. Um, Don't you ever tell a Sagittarius that you can't. but I think she kind of confirmed it for me and I was like, this is completely unsafe. What the heck would I be here and why are you trying to put a lid on any of my you know, progress? So somebody took a punt on me and I will forever be grateful to that person, that person who will re- remain unnamed. Uh, so, you know, and I went and spoke to lots of mentors, two in particular, uh, Professor Shanti Amaratunga. And um, Associate Professor um, Janet Farnslow. They're both amazing scientists and they've followed me for at least 22 years, uh, two decades. Oh. Um, and basically, they said just give it a stab, sink, swim, drown, do what you have to do, but at the end of the day, you've got to get back in the pool. And I went, okay, let's do it, let's do it. So, coolest thing ever. So, I turned up to specific studies and then I. I I, you know, I'm not lying, one year in, I was then appointed to the 2018 inquiry panel, and I was like, holy hicka, okay, I have to try and do balance this, and I've got to try and balance being a panelist, and, you know, that took the life out of me, sucked the life out of me, but then, that, once that was finished, lo and behold, we had a Pacific Studies programme review, and it went, amazing, from one review into another, just trying to keep it together, but... You know, it's it's in those times that you dig massively, so deep, and you remember why you're there. And it's and you've got this purpose-driven life, and I guess you've just got to follow through with it. I learnt very fast and hard lessons, but it was I think it was the best way to learn. Um, I'm very grateful and fortunate. To, um, um, have a dean who is very supportive and a deputy dean who is very supportive of Faculty of Arts and of course um, our very own um, ProVC Pacific Associate Professor Damon Silesi at the back there so yay Damon thanks for all your support <clears throat> so now I'm in my final, final year of my first term and I've been asked to do another term so I guess I must be doing something right and I have some really great support around me the roles have helped me to develop empathy. You know, wasn't my emotional t- intelligence wasn't that good. You know, I was like, yeah, cool. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> so I have, I have developed a bit of empathy and leadership. Um, I've grown. My intuition has grown. Um, and um, I, I'm a firm believer in giving and creating and nurturing opportunities for those around me. Because at the end of the day, we all hold space. And if you ever think that you are that powerful or that you have learned everything that you need to know, that you completely need to check yourself. Because it's not about you, and it's it's about us, right? It's about we, and that you yourself are an actual fact coming from a place of privilege and complacency. Someone asked me, um, weirdly enough, how do I, what? How do I feel about leadership i 've never really been asked that question, and the first thing that popped up in my mind was um, fighting fighting always fighting you know obviously you 're fighting for your people you 're fighting at times to justify your your place around the table, certain tables you 're fighting racist undertones um, you 're fighting normally in a room where there are very few female voices. And you're fighting to remain on point for the people you lead and the staff and the students that you're meant to be a, be an example for. So you're sometimes forced into rooms that you don't necessarily want to be in and rooms that are sometimes really unsafe. But you just got to do what you got to do. So it's in those times that man, I just draw on all the wisdom of my ancestors and, you know, and this... And, of many in the spirit of multitudes. It's kind of the only thing that you can do, right? So again, what's the point? Why am I even putting myself through this? Um, we know we're in a system that's not gonna change overnight. But we do need to kind of chip away at it. You know, even if it's a little dense, it just we just gotta do our bit. But I have to keep reminding myself and this is really quite cliche, but but it's my truth and that, you know, you have to keep being that voice, and I have to put feet to my words. And um, you need to be present, I believe. Everyone wants a piece of you every single day. So from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, you know, um, you you actually realise that you give a part of you away every time. There's a part of you that you're giving to so many people and you, in so many directions, you know, As draining as that may sound, um, there are just uh, the benefits, and just seeing our people just do better is just far outweighs it. It's so encouraging. Um, Okay, so when I was a junior academic, I used to be hang out with the crew, and I was like, you know, this is cool. And then I get into leadership, and then (laughs) unintentionally you are separated, and like awesome. I am Casper in the back of my office. Um, I'm with Casper. Um, but Pacific Studies is a little different, right? Because I have a really good relationship with my colleagues, I think. Um, and, and the students are amazing, and the vibe there is just, you know, it's just, it's joyful, and I honestly, I can honestly tell you I don't go to work dreading it. Like, oh man, I hate this job. I really don't. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well you know, 70% of the time, okay? Let's, <laughs> but I can walk into Pacific Studies and I feel safe and I know I belong there and, you know, and I have people around <coughs> me that are just totally amazing. And... I think in the university, we need those types of spaces because, you know, we're all gravitating to either the Southern Campus or Pacific Studies, that's it. But can you imagine how amazing and how powerful it would would be if the entire campus had that vibe and that all our students felt as if they belonged and they owned the space, it would be an amazing place. Okay, my leadership during COVID. Just like all of you here, it was absolutely tumultuous. And you know, there were uncharted waters. And I felt like my leadership had really been tested last year. It was totally tough. Um, You know, I'm probably saying what most of you did in your daily life, you turn up to a Zoom meeting on average from eight to six every single day, um, trying to get postgraduate students through to cross the line. Um, the on- online teaching, um, what else? Sitting on national and international funding committees, uh, leading a research project that now, that now is way behind schedule because of border restrictions. Fronting for media, and pro- providing commentary from COVID to climate change, to Pacific wellbeing, to racism to sport. Uh, Writing publications, sitting on university recovery and strategic committees, you know, because we're in recovery mode. Um, And having really uncomfortable conversations with staff, you know, because there's restructuring, obviously. Um, Being isolated from my family and grieving the passing of a family member. I'm I'm not trying to say, look at me, look at this long list, I'm busy as. What I'm trying to say is this is kind of what we do, Right? And during COVID, uh, I've never worked so hard in my entire life. It was probably the intensity of um, being on the panel, the Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry. That was the kind of stress, I guess, that, that I went through. But still, you've you, you got to turn up to every Zoom meeting with a smile on your face like, how are you going? Awesome. Cool. But you know, there's a bit of you there, flipping, dying every day. And I'm sure you've all been been in that situation. And it was really hard because your workspace and your home space were the same one and the same. So it was kind of hard to separate at times. But thinking back on that workload and, and all that and pushing through, I had to keep telling myself, man, there's something that's way bigger than you. There's a vision. So I had to arm myself daily um, and try and find ways of disarming myself. And I've kind of, kind of learning that. You know, I'm trying not to work in the weekends. Trying. Um, not after hours, but I guess with the multiple hats you wear, sometimes that just, you know, you can't be avoided. So 2020, what a time. But in spite of all this, I, I do love what I do. Weird, I know. Um, and I simply wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. I'm extremely grateful for every opportunity that's come my way, um, and I've, yeah, I totally am but it's the vision, I think that's why I do what I do, because it's the vision. The vision that society should be doing better, the vision that our government should be doing better, the vision that our universities should be doing better. You know, we gotta just be doing better, better serving our Pacific communities and, and all New Zealanders. So I wanna draw your attention now to rooms and spaces, uncomfortable rooms and spaces. It's not the best feeling and there's always tension. You know, you walk into a room, and this is me. You know, I sometimes think, okay, what stereotypes are going through your head right now? What biases are running through your brain right now? You can see it. You can see it in their faces. You can feel the body language. You can hear it in their voices. And I sometimes sit there and I go, oh, gosh. Am I a threat? In my head. Because, of course, again, I want to keep my job. Um, Am I a threat? Or, or like... um, should I really be here? You, do, you start to question yourself sometimes, right? So I had to reconfigure that mentality and, and suck it up because, and to believe that I've been brought to a space and a room, whether welcomed or not, to do a job. And that's exactly what I need to do to remain on task. Um, so I can't be a sook about it because I think once you do sulk about it, then you, you just turn around walk back out the door and let someone else come in and sit in that seat, knowing when to move out of the way. Because there's going to be someone even more brilliant than you are that'll come along, guarantee it. So basically, I, am, I have learnt to be comfortable being uncomfortable, basically. Um, and I've grown thick skin. On a couple of occasions, I've been the lone voice in a room um, where I've called out colleagues for being overtly racist you know I know that it's going to upset our relationship but you just develop a zero tolerance for that kind of stuff so it gets kind of tired dealing with the microaggressions of others and dealing with hypervisibility and being the let me tick my box kind of thing because um, you're in the room everyone wants a piece of pacific studies I am pacific studies strong and and you may have guessed that by now Um, so in order to tick everyone's boxes, what that really does, especially for Pacific female academics, is that it actually adds to our workload and that's not doing us any favours because we're meant to be progressing the way the academy expects us to progress, but we can't when we're kind of looking after everyone else, right? And so you are caught in a quandary because if you're not there, then we're not there. So you turn up. There have been moments where male peers, both Pacific and non-Pacific, um, have said that <laughs> she's so ambitious, she's building an empire. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I don't even like that word, but you know that's kind of what you hear being thrown around. Um, and while this may be inspirational for some, um, for a woman, let alone a brown woman, it You know, there's negative um, connotations or inferences. Because if a male was called ambitious or if a male was building an empire, you know, he would be applauded. And so when I hear that, I said, yeah, and why can't I? You know, um, what's wrong with that? What are you going to do about it? You want to go, no? (laughs) You know, why can't we? I mean... Unless, of course, you trample on the toes of other people, that's not my jam, then, then sure, okay. But, the, you know, like I said, it's not, it's never about us. Um, so coming back to hypervisibility, I believe as a Pacific female academic that, you know, I tend to teeter on the brink, I guess, of token visibility and therefore have to work just as hard. And by that, I have to work just as hard to create positive visibility right, in order to avoid invisibility. But we know that hypervisibility is in fact um, identity-based mistreatment, really. And when being asked to sit at various tables, I sometimes find that my expertise is overshadowed, based on the color of my skin, um, identifying as female, a daughter of Samoa, yeah. A child of the Pacific and part of the Pacific Rainbow community. I'm not much of a talker in these rooms and spaces. I'm more the observer and I'm a, <laughs> and I'm a believer that one's work should do all the talking. I don't care too much listening to male dominated voices sapping the energy of the room sometimes. Um, just for the sake of it. And so I do lots of eye rolls in my mind. Because I want to keep my job. <laughs> but being present, you know, being present also speaks volumes. And when, the time, and when the time is right, that's when you drop the gems. That's when you drop the gems. And I think key in leadership is picking your battles. Strengthening and maintaining relationships are key as a Pacific female leader. Um, this is especially important for me, your relationships with your, your peers, your colleagues, your students, your professional staff and academic staff. Um, politicians, you know, it's about seeing them, like really seeing them. Yeah. I told you I was becoming more empathetic. Um, <laughs> Another question I was asked, because you don't normally get asked this question in leadership, is how does it feel to take the hits? Because you don't, right? And you protect your staff, you protect your department, you protect your university, whatever. And you take those hits. Yeah, they don't need to know. They can just live their best lives. Um, (laughs) And the first thing that came to my mind was lonely. Like I was like, what the heck? Like, lonely came to my mind. Because it's lonely when you have to take those hits. And I'm not trying to cry martyr here. I'm just, you know, that sometimes when issues come, they are incessant waves and in amongst that. But again, you learn to dig deep and you have to focus on your vision um, and the people you serve. And you see the faces and it just gives you that bit of, I don't know, kaha, I guess. So it's been very sombre up to this point. So what's a good day for me? And I'm being honest here. A good day for me is when I see students so blown away by their own work. I was like, yeah, yeah. When students are encouraged by their own work and they just completely own it. A good day for me is when staff enjoy, you know, being around, hanging around work in a safe space that they feel empowered and able to release their full potential. And a good day for me is when I know that my family is okay. I guess in leadership, you have to be prepared that it won't always be a good day. You have to be able to roll with the punches. Uh, you have to have some real guts to go to the dark wars and explore the deep. You have to be prepared for the haters, the criticism, and the stuff ups. I do stuff up a lot. Um, and have the confidence to let all that stuff go. Just, just let it go and stick to the plan. So in closing, you have to turn up because it's never really about you. It should always, always be about us. And this will come with positive flow and effects because my Pacific female academics and Pacific women, you are extraordinary. (laughs) Thank you for being a wonderful audience. (laughs) Oh, questions! Thank you for a very, very lively presentation. I really appreciated that. Can I just cover one thing you mentioned in passing, and that was about taking hits. What is your advice and the best way to do that? And I'm sure everyone is interested in that. Thank you. It's it's having really good people around you, Um, staying connected to your you know things, people that mean much. Your family, your friends, you know, babies. Um, I think that's probably the, my number one strength in taking those hits. Mm. And, and kind of getting over yourself, not sitting in your fields too much, because mm, um, what's that going to do? <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, give yourself time to do it, but if, you know, Sagittarians are like, man, come on, yeah. Thank you, Dr. I uh, You spoke earlier about traversing um, the Western framework of how Pacific female academics are measured by in comparison with the Pacific mentality. Can you share with us any anecdotes or examples of how you have navigated the difference, uh, the different ways of thinking and how you've approached it and what
1: success of any you have had
0: thank you that's that's a really good question um, again you can never go at anything alone um, and that's the same for my research and my work it's it's having mentors around you um it's being able to develop messages that resonate with our communities as well i mean then you know let's be real they're not going to be going into an international journal and reading up on your research and being you know finding anything profound um, it is just it could be around a cover circle you know it could be something like that it's it's finding way meeting our people in the places that you can have those safe conversations. Um, our impact is measured. And I, you know, it's not about, oh, I've done a 50,000 um, publications. It's For me, that's not even about that. It's about people taking, the communities taking your work and translating it in ways that are more, I guess, palatable. Um, and I'm talking about my work in suicide prevention and mental health and well-being. You know, in languages, whether it's in English or whether it's for young people or children, just kind of using those messages that, get the, that speak to, to them. Um, that, to me, is, is impactful. And I can sleep at night kind of thing, you know. I, but in doing that, unfortunately, our academic currency is the number of publications that you get. And because Pacific are out there doing this, this work, you know, really doing stuff that works for us, you don't even have time to write all these publications, and unfortunately, you won't get promoted because of that. So, you know, I'm like, ma'am, when are we going to ever change the framework to which we are measured against? So I hope, I hope that's answered. I'm looking at our Pro VC Pacific there in the corner. Um, who, is, uh, who is our voice? I mean, a wonderful leader. I was just
1: wondering how you sort of juggle, I guess, scholarship with leadership. Um, you were just talking about like pu- having to publish and stuff. Do you find it sort of hard to manage your,
0: I guess, managerial hat and your other hat as an academic? Um, yeah, yeah, something gives. If it's not one thing, something gives in the other role, uh, you know. Um, now there's kind of three roles, um, but you have wonder again. You have wonderful people around you that can help you, like um, trade secret. You know, I won't. I don't have the time to write by myself. So I'd get a research team around me. I work with emerging. Pacific academics, so you know you're growing their capabilities as well as your own. You just work together and you write together, and so you're just sharing the load. That's that's who we are naturally as Pacific. We don't go out there on our own. Um, everything's like the village kind of mentality, or neighbourhood, or the hood mentality. That's us, and and so I apply that to all my roles. If you were able to change one thing today or tomorrow
1: for Pacific women academics. What would be like your first thing you'd change if you had all the power and all the wonderfulness?
0: First thing that came to my mind, and I'm going to be bold about this, is that we see a Brown vice chancellor. So so that would probably be the one thing I would change. Um, At one point, you referred to the fact that there's a very different vibe in Pacific Studies than there is in other parts of the university. And for the rest of the university to become more like the Pacific Studies Department in the way you described it, is that institutionally possible or would it look like something completely unlike what we have sitting up the hill today if it was to become like that? 100% that's possible, 100%. And the reason why that is possible is, for, for starters, we need to completely play out our, our commitment to Te Rete o Waitangi. That, I think that's fundamental. I think, too, that what what works for Māori and what works for Pacific and all popu- populations that underserved, what works for them is completely going to work for all New Zealanders. That That's my honest opinion. Um, we know, uh, research shows that if a young person is connected to their culture, identity, their languages, um, they feel they belong, um, they're not isolated, that they thrive. So until those things are at the forefront in any strategic-type plan, then I guess we'll just have the same old, same old. Uh,
1: kia ora. Building on that question, um, I'm up the hill at Newmarket and Engineering and I have kind of an issue now where I've got a research team and I'm the lightning rod for everything female. So my postdoc's female, my PhD student's female, most of my undergraduates are female. How come I'm the only engineer attracting females? Uh, any, any advice when you become a pocket in a male-dominated engineering space?
0: Look, that's a really tough question. I, I think because I wear multiple hats, because, so I do come from... Well, there's an intersectionality of everything that makes me who I am. And so...
1: <clears throat> we need token males in my
0: group. <laughs> but even then... Some, oh, no, you know, no, I'm no, not, no. I don't want to... have a bar but... fight soon. Um, <laughs> but no, in terms of the academy, you know, uh, even then there's, like, a certain privilege um, or, or some type of entitlement that um, women really want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I have no idea. Um, That should be a strategy that maybe we should look at um, at the university.
1: It's not intentional, and I'm afraid I'm being accused of being not very diverse and not very inclusive because apparently the males don't really want to work in a bunch of females. Yeah, but that's the eh?
0: That's totally the thing, right? It's like as soon as there's any type of change, and this is not just a gender issue, as soon as there's any type of change... Not everyone likes change, then all of a sudden it's a you problem but you know if we just like i said if we, we just sit back and let it happen, it's just the same thing's going to happen and um you've got to have you've got to have the strength to really like shake shit up <laughs> because we're you know where will it ever start i never i never dreamed that we would have a pro v c pacific ever like we're the first University, right? Yeah, to have that. Uh, thank you, everybody. I, re- I honestly really appreciate you all coming out, especially in this weather. And just, I think to me, it's just showing me your support um, and your alofa, And um, I got your back just as much as you have mine. And I have a special acknowledgement to my family that are here tonight. I love you guys. <laughs>